but I also think it comes from having that mentor overlooking you and, and actually having or wanting to spend the time to actually train you. I think that definitely makes a massive difference. Welcome to the Dental Head Start podcast. I'm David Keir and this is the first feature interview for 2021. We've got Caitlin Murray. Caitlin is an oral health therapist, but she started off as an assistant. And this is something that I think just adds so much value. I started as an assistant and it really helped me. Um, Caitlin works with Dr. Lincoln Harris at Harris Dental Boutique and obviously a high pressure, high level environment. Um, she's got so many insights and it's really fascinating to hear from someone who started assisting there and is now teaching teaching, part of Ripe Global and just really kicking some goals. So she talks a little bit about efficiency and how an oral health therapist can work in the team. She talks about obviously assisting and transitioning to becoming the therapist and then also about age and how to manage that that conversation you have a patient says you look too young and you know I, I've got it plenty of times um, how you deal with that really matters and that really shapes the rest of that appointment and relationship now I want to say thank you to our awesome sponsors we've got BOQ Specialist and Invisalign as well as Ripe Global supporting this podcast and we can't do it without them and we also can't do the giving that we do we're starting that off again in 2021 every single listen this one included we're going to donate water to people in need and then Every single share on social media will donate oral hygiene to people in need. You can find that dentalheadstart.com slash giving. And in the future, we're going to allow people to choose what giving project we uh, partner with. And this is all through b1g1.com. Uh, Check it out in on our website in the show notes. Enough about that. Let's hear from Caitlin Murray. I've always been fascinated by the intersection of aesthetics and digital dentistry. It's definitely one of the main things that got me excited about dentistry when I was a student. And to provide these aesthetic solutions, we really need to align the teeth or be able to combine alignment with restorative procedures. My journey in doing this has just begun, but I've started with Invisalign Go and now I've done the fundamentals program as well. The technology side of this has astounded me the most. You can take a scan of your patients with Artero and show them a simulation of what we might be able to do. You take photos on your phone, upload them instantly, and then you can design where you want the teeth to be in the ClinCheck program online and show your patient. The ability to communicate and the predictability is amazing. And while I'm just on the beginning of my journey, Invisalign Digital Dentistry and Aesthetics is what excites me the most. Caitlin Murray, welcome to the Dental Head Start podcast. Hey, David, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Um, I'm excited to have this chat with yourself, you know, oral health therapist, someone who's already kicking so many goals, working with some inspiring people, and we're going to get into all of that story. Um, of course, you you started off dental assisting and, and then went and did oral health therapy and work with Dr. Lincoln Harris, but you're also a ripe global educator, and I think you must have so many um, insights and inspiration from that. I'd love to know what's what's the most inspirational part of the high caliber team that you work with. I think just the actual be just being around people who are so passionate about what they do and the driving force is one just giving people high quality care and then being able to share that education with people all around the world and. I guess with everything that's gone on this year with COVID and usually we would be running courses around Australia and overseas, but bringing it all back and still being able to provide that education virtually in a way that anyone can access it is just, yeah, it's really, really exciting to be a part of it. And sometimes you sort of have to take a step back and realise that it's actually amazing. I think sometimes even Link himself I sort of have to remind him that what he's doing is is absolutely incredible. I think when you're in the moment, you sort of downplay it a little bit, but from the outside, what's actually going on is super, super exciting. Yeah, I think people, inspiring people like yourself and Link, um, you're probably looking at the next goal instead of actually looking back at the goals you've achieved, which is is pretty cool. Um, Lincoln Harris, I've said it before on the podcast, he's had a big in, um, impact on me and um, an inspiring person and I've, I've learned a lot and um, I'm sure you have too and we're going to get into a lot of that. Um, I'd love to know, um, why oral health therapy? How did you end up there? It's a bit weird how I sort of started out um, in year 12, I guess, deciding on which direction or which career path I wanted to take. 
I don't know, some people know exactly what they wanted to do and I just thought everything sounded great and I decided to do quite a lot of work experience. I did some with uh, cafes and radio stations and then somewhere along the line Dr. Lincoln Harris popped up and I thought, all right, let's go see what dental's all about. So I did a week of work experience and at the end uh, Link offered me a traineeship and I sort of took it with both hands and thought, why not, we'll give it a go and then did my certificate three. I actually um, was a, a regional finalist for trainee of the year. So that sort of spiked another bit of a keep on going, like you're good at this. And then I did my certificate four in dental radiography and then had to have the sad sit down with Link to say that I wasn't going to be his dental assistant anymore. But um, as you probably know with Link, he's always been one to keep pushing you to keep doing better. And he wasn't going to hold me back from going to uni and and studying oral health. So, uh, yeah, I went off and went to Central Queensland University in Rockhampton and that was a three-year course. So I was able to work um, by distance for my first year, do all my theory and still stay in the industry, keep working, which was absolutely amazing. It helped me so, so much throughout my uni and then moved up to Rocky and did my placements for the last two years. And yeah, and it was I was lucky enough to be able to come back and work in the clinic that had basically shaped me as a person and the practitioner that I wanted to be. And yeah, I haven't looked back. I, I love it. So I'm really glad that it worked out how it did. Yeah, it, working in the team you're in, I guess it's such it's quite unique, but to you, that's kind of what it was for. And so I, I love that. Um, it sounds like you're quite the optimist. It's interesting. You you did a placement in radio, but now you're actually doing um, you know online education and live education, which is fascinating. And um, <laughs> your journey is very similar to mine. I I worked for a, um, a, a few dentists actually, and I worked for a surgeon who I had to have that difficult conversation. Um, to say that I actually got into the thing I was hoping to get into and had to leave them. So it, it's a similar similar kind of path. I was, also worked in cafes and realized dentistry is a little bit better paid, so it worked out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember, I remember actually sitting down with Lincoln being quite upset because I generally loved being a dental assistant, particularly um, – one of Link's dental assistants because we weren't, we definitely weren't trained to just hold the suction. It was very much, we had our own roles and responsibilities. And there was probably part of me that thought, oh, should I give up or should I do something different, even though I love this so much? But yeah, it turns out I just love what I do even more, which is good. (laughs) (laughs) An optimist. Tell us, um, what do you love about it now? I think just being able to um, especially with oral health, you, you do get to see patients quite regularly throughout the years. And, and some of the patients I have been, I have been seeing since I was dental assisting. So for someone who's quite young in their career, having those relationships where I've seen people for nine years is just crazy. And so you sort of become like a long, like a long, long friend and you get to catch up. And I think to being a part of it now with, um, so much interaction with social media and being able to communicate with other practitioners and and learn things and it's really the only limit is yourself really if you if you're happy just pacing through that's fine but if you want to do more then you really can just keep on going yeah our access is second to none now you raise a good point one of the things that is nice about oral health therapy hygienists and dentists in general practice is that we have that continuity of care with our patients and that's something I really, really loved about General Dental as well. Um, tell us what was the, tell us a story about being a dental assistant for Link. What's, uh, there's got to be a good story in there, something you can share that's not too incriminating. Link is, was really, really stressful to work for. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you started um, with that because I could only yeah. imagine. But. And he's got a thing that if you if you cry, you're out. Like you have to be able to <laughs> you have to be able to take it. And obviously, a lot of uh, some of the stuff that Link does is obviously stressful for normal dentists, and then adding complex things on. So I think you really have to be quite tough and take things um, with a grain of salt. And if if Link's a bit stressed one day, don't take it personally. But um, the responsibilities and the training that he invests in you, and I think. That's probably one of the biggest things is that sometimes his expectation is so high, but 
you kind of then put that on yourself and you kind of you don't want to let anyone down but that sort of also plays in the back of your mind and then you grow and you exactly. need that, that makes stress. You better. Yeah. yeah totally and with those responsibilities then comes more job satisfaction which is why yeah you sort of get to a point where you're not just a dental assistant because there's so much that you have to do and yeah, I mean, it's still stressful working with Link and I'm like in my own room because I know that he's just lingering over the top, but it also <laughs> helps me be the best practitioner that I am as well. Yeah, yeah, having those standards so high and being held to them from such a young age. Well, I often say and we talk about the fact that your first job is such a um, a key part of your career, it shapes you. And so I can imagine, you know, through your training, it, obviously the standard is at a certain certain place. I'm glad you, you said all that because one of the last questions I was going to ask is what's it like to work with Link? Um, so perhaps we'll get back onto that. Um, <laughs> tell us about, so you were a dental assistant, of course, uh, and went into oral health therapy. What do you think the key things that you really took from dental assisting that accelerated your oral health therapy career? Uh, it was, I can't even begin to explain how helpful it was to be a dental assistant first. One, just being able to, I remember being 18 and, and just out of school, being able to talk to a stranger and learning that communication early on and just making the small talk that helps you build rapport with your patients. So one, learning those communication skills and then obviously assisting the dentist, you basically know the procedures as good, if not more than what the dentist does. So you're basically trained to read their mind. And I sort of, before going into uni, I already had an idea of what a filling was meant to look like and using a rubber dam for everything. And basically that was already all instilled in my mind before I'd already gone off to uni. So I had had a, a goal in mind of what practitioner I wanted to come out and then just yeah, learning the surfaces of a what a tooth is because when you sort of get to uni, you touch on that for about a minute and you're just expected that that's something that you have to learn. And so being able to have had my head wrapped around all that before going off to uni was just, yeah, amazing. And I think uh, our cohort was quite small at uni. We had about 25 to 30 uh, students and about half of them were dental assistants prior and half weren't. And the half that weren't, you could see that they really had to work super hard, whereas the previous dental assistants sort of had that upper hand where they could then focus on the, the harder stuff. They didn't have to worry about the, the stuff that just becomes mindless, that we just start thinking in dental language and you don't really think much of it afterwards. Yeah, I I had a similar experience. I was a dental assistant and then going into dentistry first year was like learning terms that I already knew. And so I could focus on the, the you know the more challenging stuff, I guess. And it's the same if you're learning say you're learning communication, you do multiple different courses, you're picking up more every time you go. It's it's the same kind of thing. It's layering your understanding, which is which is great. You raised a, a good point. You know, you started this journey pretty young. You were just out of school and dental assisting, working in a high, um, let's use the word high pressure, a high um, standard environment. What were the struggles of that throughout, you know, your early career? Um, I guess it was sort of more of an individual um, or a personal thing where you kind of get thrown into something and you don't really know what you're doing. And But I also think it comes from having that mentor overlooking you and, and actually having or wanting to spend the time to actually train you. I think that definitely makes a massive difference. I mean, there's always going to be things that scare you when you're doing it the first time. But if you've got someone that you know is going to believe in you and someone that is open or happy to for you to ask questions and will allow you to make those mistakes because as you know and and everyone that often it's you have to make a mistake to actually learn from it first and you're only human if you if you make mistakes but as long as you're obviously learning by them and you've got that supportive environment then you've got so much room to grow um i guess one of the other things was trying to decide whether i wanted to do oral health therapy or or going to dentistry and I think a lot of people still ask me that question if I'm going to go into to do dentistry and I I honestly love what I do so much particularly because I've got my extended scope so I can do um, the restorations and the checkups so I can essentially do quite a lot of it and working with Lincoln obviously there's so much 
extra stuff that you can do as your sort of supporting team that takes a lot of pressure off the dentist. So I kind of feel like I'm running my own show in my room, but also you work together as such a close team as well. Mm, mm. In which there's an element that's really fantastic about that of working in the team and not being too isolated in your own kind of um, mind and your own room and all the rest of it as a general dentist. Um, I, I think there would probably be no doubt that you're you're doing some better work than many many general dentists. Um, so <laughs> so I think you're really yeah in a great position. Did you find starting this journey young and your patients seeing you as you know, you know, you start. I started as a young dental assistant. I was fifteen when I first was dental assisting. I was just a kid, and so patients see you like that. And then going back into the same practice, did you find that a challenge to then be the professional, the the practitioner? Um, I think yes, definitely. If, I think there was definitely some cases that because I'd had such a good relationship with some of my patients as a dental assistant, they were sort of invested in my journey as well and waiting for me to come back and knowing the sort of clinic that we work in and the quality that we've always had, there was obviously that bit of reassurance to them that there was still going to be that level held. Um, the other thing too, being such a high in practice and Link being so good at what he does, we do have a lot of patients that travel quite the distances, um, particularly to come and see him. And so for them to come and see Link and then still want him to maybe do their cleans or whatnot purely because they're traveling so far, but then Link may not be having the time and then sort of be having to prove yourself um, to sort of say, well, I am I'm this is what I'm I'm do I do the cleans and I do a really good job and Link was always really supportive of that and um yeah and I guess like you said being young trying to you sort of a patient comes in and they sort of say okay so where's the person that's doing my dental work and you're like oh that's me (laughs) but I guess um I do take a lot of pride in in what I do and I do I haven't I've always found that people I sort of take it as a bit of a challenge to sort of if they come in a bit apprehensive, then by the time they're finished, they're like, oh, okay, well, can't wait to see you next time. So, yeah, I sort of take it on board and just try and make it a way for me to prove that I am I am good enough. And I think taking photos and things like that in our clinic as well as we take so many pictures and being able to show the patients the, the work that you do, it doesn't take much for them to realize that they are getting a really high quality service and yeah but yeah it definitely is hard that's a really good point um taking photos and kind of almost proving yourself but i was going to ask um i love the concept as well when you actually look at it as almost like a challenge you know the patient that comes in that's a little bit difficult it's like if you look at that just as a bit of a challenge, recognize they're a little bit stressed and that it's just a bit different for them or, or they're not, you know, they don't like going to the dentist, whatever, see it as a challenge and it just makes it a little bit more enjoyable, um, <laughs> especially when you win that challenge. Do you have any tips for, um, for young dentists who are in a similar boat? Like I look like a child. I'm now in my 30s um, and I still look super young and people ask me sometimes if I'm a dentist. Um, do you have tips for gaining that respect? And, and moving through that with the patient? I think you have to be you have to be confident in yourself and confident in what you're trying to tell them because that will definitely come across in how you explain yourself. And when you're not confident, I feel like you you tend to babble on a little bit and get beat around the bush, which is probably what I do, I'm doing on here, trying <laughs> to come up with words off my head. But, um, yeah, I definitely think, I mean, I'm finishing my, this is my third full year as an oral health therapist and now sort of thinking back to where I was, I have grown so much and my confidence has grown a lot that, yeah, the confidence that you give out is definitely what comes back. So the patients feel a lot more reassured reassured when you're coming in confidently and sometimes you just have to wing it. Um, There are going to be times where you make mistakes and you have to reflect on it, but yeah, as I said, we are only human and I think it's about learning from it. And, yeah, there's still some times where I'll, or mainly early on in my sort of career where I'd be talking to a patient and saying they they need a crown or like a filling's just going to be too big and then I'd feel like I'd be just constantly trying to tell the patient that's what they need to do and then Link will come in and just does his thing and he's so confident and I think he just has this um, – 
oh, just a sense of, yeah, the patients just know that he knows his stuff and, and that's all they need to know. So, yeah, be confident, yeah. It's it's a fantastic tip, and it's something as you said we can we you know we can babble on or we can um, just try. We're almost like we're trying to sell it, but we don't want to sell it, and we're, we're almost like saying too much because we're trying not to come across like we're selling. We're trying to explain it, and it's all just waffle. It, it, like you said, and a lot of people, I think Link talks about it, just simply saying, "Well, this is what's best for that tooth," and it, and if you can't do that, that's okay. We can do this, and it's simple. It's to the point. And to be honest, if I was a patient, it's what I want to hear too. After dental assisting with Link for, for so long, you must have felt quite comfortable clinically with a patient doing more complex things. Do you remember your first patient? Do you remember any challenges early on? <laughs> oh, yeah, I remember my first patient. It actually took me a couple of months to build the courage up to bring my first patient in and having that small talk because um, the biggest thing in our clinic, if Link was running late, then the assistant sort of slides in and just talks to the patient and makes them forget about time. And I remember the first patient that I brought in um, was this lovely lady and it just didn't work out how it was meant to. She came in the room and she sat in my chair like she didn't sit in the patient chair because she was so anxious and she was just in tears and I had been left by myself with this patient to try and get her in the chair. And in my head was like, this is not how it's meant to be. You're supposed to walk in, sit in the chair. And I ask you how the weather is outside. Anyways, and now she's like nine years old and she's actually one of my patients and she travels a few hours to actually come and see us. And yeah, it's, it's just funny what seemed to be so hard back then does just become second nature. And yeah, I guess we see a lot of really anxious patients. About 80% of our patients are anxious. And so I, I think the the chats at the beginning of an appointment is is basically what makes or break whether the, the patient sticks around or how comfortable they feel. And I think particularly in our clinic, we don't really have any time pressures. We allow quite a significant amount of time, particularly for the new patients to come in and just basically get to know them and and help them bring down their walls so that we can develop that trust and rapport with them because anxiety can come across in so many ways. And as I was saying with you earlier about the struggles as a young clinician, sometimes it's just that anxiety that people associate with the dentist. It's not necessarily you as a person. It's just their actual underlying fears of not really wanting to be where they are. And so being able to sort of acknowledge that and and help them through their journey and watch how far they come as well, which um, you sort of said about different things that are satisfying is is definitely seeing those anxious patients come in so anxious and then coming in basically for a catch-up and and everything's really good so yeah I guess that was probably that was definitely a big a big thing with dental assisting and um, you do definitely learn a lot on the job particularly listening to Link um, just doing treatment plans and things like that I'm not sure he he's he does a course, rapid, efficient treatment planning, and basically looks at photos and gets you to treatment plan things really fast. And so how that sort of transition from dental assisting and typing all of those notes out and then basically knowing how he would plan treatment is sort of, it's just repetition. So once he said it so many times and that sort of thing's instilled in my mind. So I essentially have a pretty good idea how, how Link's brain works, which has worked to my advantage quite a lot. I get secretly I'm like I'll tell the patient that this is what they need and and Link will come in and just have a chat and when he says the exact same thing I've said I'm like yes yeah yeah the patient just looks at you like what do you said that (laughs) oh that's hilarious that's fantastic and it's interesting though because I think the the role that you've had in that situation um, honestly I think many dentists would pay a lot of money to have that experience it wouldn't be very efficient for link to have a dentist every day um, writing his notes but gee that would it would teach us so so much yeah and I, I definitely think the just those extra things like the clinical note taking and investing that time early on as a dental assistant and I mean it's a big thing to let your dental assistants take your clinical notes because it's essentially a legal record of what's happened in that procedure and having them take the notes in sort of live time means that a lot more information is actually put into those notes and you're not sitting down at the end of your day trying to rack your brain of all the patients that you're seeing. So, 
Yeah, something as simple as, yeah, like your clinical notes, having a dental assistant do that and being able to just rely on them and have that reassurance that you know that everything's going to be in there. Just I'm I'm sure there's a lot of dentists out there that just dread the end of their day and staying back so late. I don't know if that's you. Uh, I'm only laughing here because that is me entirely. I have oh, some no. I have some fantastic dental assistants who are um, you know do a fantastic job, but it's you know not always the case. And sometimes I'm sitting there at the end of the day punching away at the keyboard. Um, it's a really good point. You you do teach a little bit on efficiency, and you're quite passionate about that and the way the practice works. And um, obviously, as an oral health therapist, you're you're a crucial role of that efficient team. But what what other um, advice do you have? What what do you want to share about efficiency and and making the practice and our lives easier? I I like I like I touched on before. Probably one of the the biggest sort of tips that I have for efficiency is yeah, just number one, like taking the time to train your staff and telling them basically what you want them to do and, and treat them like they're capable of everything. If you if you sort of got your dental assistants and you just want them to suction and they're not going to know what they can actually do. So showing them, um, investing money in them to go and do their certificates, do their courses, um, train them on how to take photos, how to take impressions, how to go through treatment plans because all of that time that you you might invest a bit of time initially in the training, but then once they know how to do it and that's going to free up your time throughout your day, um, increase the the clinic's production and everything will flow really efficiently and there's um, a good chance that really highly trained dental assistants can be um, really, really productive in the clinic and it might save you needing another a dentist or another OHT just purely by utilising your team and a lot of the time, some dental assistants may just want a suction, but depending on the type of person that you get, they will just take everything that you sort of offer to them on board. And I definitely think too with with working with Link, which is, I'm sure it's not the same with a lot of other practices, but our, the opportunities that um, particularly as a dental assistant, I went on my first flight ever and we went to Singapore, uh, which was just insane like a little girl from a regional town that hadn't been on a plane and suddenly I'm going to Singapore um it yeah those little things obviously help keep you really motivated and keep you inspired and just keeps you wanting to do more and more well, that's the thing. If you train your dental assistants, like you said, you, they're, they're more engaged. They obviously become much better, uh, but their work satisfaction, it's just like us. And I think the dentist out there listening who's thinking, oh, I don't know if I can be bothered. But like if you're not learning on the job, then you're not passionate and, and enjoying your work. So it's exactly the same for all your staff. And I think that's fantastic. Tell us about a day um, or not a day, but like a, a, I want, I'm a new patient at um, – Harris Dental Boutique, what's the flow like for a new patient? And then perhaps go through what's the flow like for a, a procedural patient and what are the DAs doing? What are you doing as the therapist? How does that work? So with a, if a new patient comes to our clinic, particularly to see me, so because I have my adult scope, I can do the full examination, obviously take x-rays, have a chat to them and I'm, I'm sure if you hear, hear Link, one of the most important things that we do is actually find the patient's goal with their teeth because not everyone's goal is the same. And particularly in our clinic, we we don't ever really just treat one problem, even if that's what the patient comes in for. So if they come in for with one complaint of a tooth, they never really leave with just the solution of that one tooth. It's very much a whole mouth um, kind of thing that they leave with. And we do have a lot of patients that sit down and, and they say, well, no one's actually ever spent this much time with me. And again, touching on the photos, going through and showing them what's going on, um, is a is a massive part and being able to educate the patient because it's like I tend to explain it is it's like if you, you take your car to the mechanic you don't really know what happened when you leave and a lot of the time patients I think have that experience at other practices where they go in and they don't really know what got done but they they left and they paid some money and that was it so I think it, it is really nice to be able to give patients so much education and they leave feeling like they're finally things finally make sense and so yeah they the patients will come in we take a full set of photos we do a full exam and we tend to 
particularly with myself, work in stages. So if I know that the patient needs to have more of a comprehensive chat with Dr. Harris, well, basically I can do stage one, which is to get the mouth healthy. So if they need any cleaning done or any periodontal disease treatment and do any basic fillings that need to be done. And then once the mouth is stable, then we can basically take further records or diagnostic records and then send them off to Link and he can do the the comprehensive planning if that's needed. And as I said, because I've worked with Link for quite some time, it's it's good to be able to sort of know the direction that the patient's going to head and be able to give them some of those options early on and say, well, this could be something that you could do and sometimes people just need to go away and think about it if that's something that they want and so without them having to see links straight away I can give them quite a lot of their options to say well think about this over the next few weeks so that when you do come back and you you sit down with that full um, comprehensive chat with link you sort of know what to expect or have some ideas of what you want and yeah We've just actually had installed in all of our clinic rooms, I don't know how big they are, like 70-inch TVs on the on the walls so that when the patient's sitting back, um, we actually put their photos up and suddenly the crack that you're, you're talking to the patient, it's not just a, a crack to them. They can actually see it. They can visualize it. They can grasp it with a more of an understanding. And I think patients are definitely, I find... We don't really have to convince patients to have treatment done. When the photo's up there and and we say, well, this is what's going on, I think if they can see it, their acceptance rates of treatment, we honestly have no trouble with patients accepting treatment, I think, because we we show them what's going on and, and they have a really good understanding of it all. To summarise, if you're not taking photos, you really should be. Um, it, it's such a crucial part of the explanation and, and consent, really, and, and their understanding, which is what's so important. What, with the Say um, Lincoln's doing um, something particularly complex or he's got a busy day, Do you, does he run with two chairs? Um, do the DAs, um, you were mentioning before, sometimes there's a DA you'd bring the patient through. Um, how does that workflow work? Is there any tips for efficiency we can think of there? Yeah, so we've actually, Link has always, well, he likes to work with two dental assistants. So he's sort of trained to do that six-handed dentistry. And the idea of six-handed dentistry is you would have your chairside assistant who's basically in charge of just um, the bracket and the suctioning. And then you've got your standing assistant, which does all the running around and essentially Um, the goal of the dentist is to not look up from the mouth. So basically the dental assistant is putting whatever is next into Link's hand and it does run quite smoothly and quite fast. So you can, even though we're doing really high quality treatment, um, there's certain things that you obviously can't speed up like your local anesthetic and, and things like that. But as far as putting the rubber dam on, the dental assistants know what's going to come next. And and when you're learning that, I think it's, again, about being patient and, and Link always encouraged us to always give him something, whether it was going to be the right or the wrong thing. Um, you'd soon know if you were giving him the wrong thing yeah, because yeah. You'd, he just wouldn't be grabbing it and you're like, what do you actually want? Um, <laughs> and, of course, as practitioners, we never change our mind with what we want. No, of course not. No, so you ask for something, they go to get it and then you don't need it by the time they're back. Yeah. I was just saying that to a dental assistant I was training today actually. It's like just make a decision. It might be wrong but you'll learn from that decision and, and keep moving. Move yeah, that's that's fantastic. Um, tell us a bit about so oral health therapy. It's it's something, um, you know, I, I work with a team of oral health therapists and honestly I don't think I could do it without them. And there are there is another side, you know, there's this, this thought in dentistry is like, oh, well, that's, you know, they're, they're cutting our grass, so to speak. Uh, I don't agree at all, but I'd love to hear your thoughts around that and how an oral health therapist can really, um, you know, optimize the dental practice. Yeah, definitely. And I think it sort of touches on some of the things I've been mentioning as well. As I said, our some of the things that I can do as an oral health therapist with extended scope is your full examinations, your cleans, your, your periodontal treatment, uh, your fillings and also learning basically about your treatment plan. So if something does need a crown, 
going through all of that information with the patient and then the the dentist basically just popping in and saying, yep, that sounds great. Um, You've basically got this one person driving you these high production incomes and you don't have to worry about turning over um, your cleans and things like that. In our our clinic, we, my standard sort of appointment for a a checkup and clean is about 50 minutes um, purely because I take a lot of time to make sure everything's really thorough. And in that in that time, obviously checking that anything needs to be done, taking up-to-date photos. Every patient will have a new, full new set of photos every two years and same with your bite wings and your perio charts and, and things like that. So you've got this, obviously you're turning over your, your hygiene, but then also you've got any fillings that come up. And if there are patients that sort of are you know, waiting to see what treatment needs to be done, not the time's not always right for everyone. So you've sort of still got these patients staying in the system and just every so often you start to find that you're just generating all this production and you don't really know where it's coming from. So, yeah, there definitely is a place for oral health therapists in the team and I think it's more so with um, probably your older dent, like your real older dentists who have been doing it for a long time that sort of struggle with that change. And then I guess the new grad dentists coming out, they might see an oral health therapist taking away their fillings or they're basically just happy to be doing anything when they first come out. And obviously the more complex things might be scary for them. So for them, a clean and a filling is something that's probably easier for them so just start out doing that but as you get more experience and you go throughout your career um, you might find that doing the cleans and the and the fillings start to become boring when you want to learn implants or you want to keep on doing the surgeries and and grow but you just can't physically do it all and having someone who's able to keep the mouth stable and you can do the more comprehensive complex things just just works really really well you realize as you stay in one place and you get busier and you become fully booked and then your book fills up with things that are either high value or low value and and there are certain things that you know we can pass on to a competent team member and and those patients are then cared for to the best level but we can still do the things we want to do um i I think yeah definitely there's dentists out there who aren't busy and as busy and then therefore there's nothing they want to keep away um but Time is precious and, and yeah, once you're a high-functioning team, that, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and I do think it's, I do think it's very much a, a trust thing as well. Obviously, as a dentist, if you have been in the one place, you've developed this rapport with patients and you've got this level of care that you've been providing to them and then to suddenly hand that over or to hand them over to someone else, you're putting a lot of faith that they're going to do the same level of care and same level of treatment, which I think I never, um, and Link's always said he's never really had that problem because I've, I've learned the way that he's done things. So he's confident knowing that what I'm doing in the room next door is something that um, he would have done himself. And leading back to the photos and things like that, I have been, I think it's really important um, as an oral health therapist, as a as a female to um, post cases and be quite active in, in what we're doing to show people that we are capable and we are highly skilled people that can do really good work. Yeah. And I think that leadership in the industry is really important too, to identify and understand the, the, the capabilities. Um, that leads us off to Ripe Global and Ripe Global has been quite interesting lately and, um, you know, the pandemic has changed a lot of things. In fact, just before we touch on that, um, you know, the pandemic's stopped a lot of this in, in-person education and, and things that Ripe Global were doing a lot of. Um, and obviously, I, I've done RETP. I think on the Ripe Global website, I'm the model when he's taking photos. Um, <laughs> so I didn't realize that was quite going to be on um, World Wide Web. But, I was um, probably there, assisting him while you were there. Yeah, perhaps actually. There we go. We have actually met. Um, so <laughs> he's pretty good at it. Um, so you're, you're talking about um, training and doing these in-office training for dental teams, um, but now it's kind of transitioned into this, this online format. It's opened other doors. The, the pandemic's really changed everything, and I think for education in dentistry. Um, maybe touch on, on that efficiency uh, stuff or what you were planning on doing, but then let us know a bit about Ripe Global. Yeah, so back in, I think it was 2018, I held or ran my first course in Sydney, which was 
just yeah amazing to be a part of that and I think the I had confidence in doing that because I was basically teaching things that I'd been doing for for I don't know six or seven years like it's stuff that um, myself just becomes easy and I think the more you do something as you know it just becomes second nature and you don't feel like it's super special but it can definitely benefit and other people can learn from it in quite a significant way so at that course I had um, predominantly dental assistants but also OHTs and and actually some dentists that had come with their their staff to to learn how can they make their their team more efficient and yeah it was really really cool to have done that and to get some really good feedback from that and that's where we sort of went into okay, well, I guess the hardest thing with courses is actually the travel to it and then having to send your staff away. If you're sending your staff away, you've got to close the clinic or pay for their airfares. And so I guess with what's happened with COVID, it's sort of, it's taken away the option of you to actually travel. And now it's probably more convenient than ever to actually learn things. You just have to be sort of adaptable to be able to teach it in a in a creative way to be able to get it to everyone. So I did actually have a couple of dates locked in to go to some clinics and sort of suss out how they were running and obviously different clinics depending on how many rooms you run or how big the clinic is can be quite different to sort of some strategies that you can implement coming from someone who worked in a relatively small team obviously then being able to provide some of those procedures to a really big team would be quite different so those sort of strategies have to be personalized to to fit what the practice actually wants and so leading on to now, how are we sort of combating that? We've sort of gone away from traveling because it's just so unpredictable. We don't know when we can go places or, or whatnot. So creating online content that basically can be shared with the staff and the team to train them doing things that can basically be practiced in the clinic and they can then implement and hopefully make their clinic run more efficiently. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's so interesting how this um this pandemic has really just accelerated a lot of trends, and that I think certainly was a trend that was happening, but it just wasn't happening, I guess, fast enough. You, you're in regional Queensland, I'm in regional New South Wales, and um, for us to go and do a course in Melbourne, perhaps we have to take off the day before the course, and we have to fly two flights at least, and there's cost and there's opportunity cost, and and then if you can do it online. You can still take your day off work if you want, but you can do it online and you can have the rest of the time with your family or something. And that's just um, so valuable to me. I'm sure it's the same for you. Yeah, totally. And I, I do think there's still there's still definitely going to be a place for um, doing hands-on courses and, and traveling for it because I think it does, it's exciting. It, it, it changes it up a bit. It changes your environment. It keeps you motivated, keeps you inspired. But then also in a world where um, there is so much information out there, being able to access it and not be limited by being able to fly or whether you can take time off work and particularly if you're if you're working as an associate dentist having the ability to be able to take work off may not be um, may not be able to so if it's limiting you being able to go and do these courses and learn new things to actually keep progressing then it's kind of yeah it's really opening up a, a whole new world of what you can actually do and what you can learn it's it's amazing and it's yeah as I said before it's really it's really exciting to be a part of it and it just makes you realize that yeah even though there might be something that seems difficult there's always ways to try and do it and and Link is definitely yeah he's very unique in what he can he's he can have a vision and then being able to create that is yeah it's it's cool yeah it must be pretty motivated kind of person he is, yeah, and I think you, I don't think you can leave not feeling motivated after. I think, um, like anyone, I think if time goes by, life can sort of get a bit repetitive and you sort of lose track of where you're heading and then within one team meeting, Link's passion and his, like, inspiration is just, it fills you up and then suddenly you you feel like, oh, what can I do next and what can I do to, to step up and, yeah, it's cool. Yeah, I, I find that to be quite amazing because the the level of anyone pushing, you know, 
pushing forward consistently like that is, is a challenge. Anyone who's in business, whether they're in the public eye or not, or whether they're even just dentists doing high-level work, it's your continuous push. And that, that is a challenge to keep that up. Um, it, how do you keep yourself motivated apart from Lincoln and his, um, and his uh, team meetings? Is there anything, any tips you have or any advice on that side? I think um, touching on and with like taking photos and making posts, I think um, it definitely the uh, Facebook group that Link basically created from nothing and now has, I don't know what the level is, maybe over eight, tens of thousands of people online sharing cases and, and posting things. I find even though like I the fillings or things that I post is quite basic, but um, being able to do them well and, and having that feedback from other people, it does keep you motivated. And I think um, having self-discipline and being able to just constantly do good work, I find that, yeah, I just, I don't have it in me to just do an average job when I when I go to work every day. I find that because you're taking photos and you, you want the patient to see what you've done and you're constantly, well, I'm myself, I'm constantly trying to do the best that I can and I think too, you just have to be willing to grow and with everything going on at Ripe Global, being having the opportunities to do these podcasts um, and create online content and start to become someone who says, oh, you, you, you inspire me. And to me, I'm just a, like a normal person doing a job that I love, but to other people, I'm obviously doing something that's quite special. And I think you've got to have those chats and and talk to other people to realize that what you're doing is is a bit different and yeah it's exciting and yeah I I have a lot of job satisfaction with what I do I and I think that that definitely helps you to stay motivated when you enjoy what you do and I think being in the environment that I am I have never had sort of any time constraints links always um been very supportive of how long I want for certain appointments and and knowing that doing good work does take time and once you've once you've got the skills then it's just about becoming um faster I think sort of touching on again about struggles when I started out was um sort of taking having taking longer for appointment times whether it was for a filling or something like that and sort of stressing that I was going to run late but then um, as soon as you start to do things more and more obviously then you can get faster and I don't think I could ever I don't think I could ever work somewhere else that didn't hold the same sort of values or standards that Link does I think he's he's kind of ruined me a bit for that and I, <laughs> I don't think I could go into a um, like a clinic where you, you're just tuning out fillings and cleans in 15 minutes. I just, yeah, I think I'd cry a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I think it comes back again to those those two key things, which is the first job and taking photos and, and reviewing your work and, and, yeah, watching your improvements, I guess, and, and feeling that sense of achievement and satisfaction. Um, I think that's completely in- inspiring. I know, you know, with you doing a bit of education um, through Ripe Global, um, you've had a lot of experience with different clinics and, and what you're doing. Uh, I'm not sure if you'll have a lot here, but what mistakes do you see therapists making? Are there things that you think um, some colleagues might be making certain mistakes or just not focusing on certain areas that you would encourage them to focus on um, as they come through oral health therapy? Yeah, so I definitely think um, when you're sort of first starting out, it can be, I guess it can be easy to be a bit complacent and if you don't know something, um, instead of saying that you don't know or seeking help or knowing who can help you, then it, like just not giving that information out to the patient, which I think has, has can happen quite a lot, that if you're sort of limited by the knowledge that you have, you tend to just play it off like there is no other option and so I think knowing when to refer or when something is out of your scope and I've always um, and I think that again leads into how dentists feel about oral health therapists but the way that we are trained we well speaking from myself you know what you are capable of and you know what is within your scope and what you're confident doing and if something is um, out of 
out of my scope or if it's too challenging then I'm not going to just say no or not give the patient options being able to actually find someone who can help them and obviously having Link there he's very supportive and he's never going to think that you should know something or um, question why you're questioning him and so I guess that leads on to two um I'm not a obviously not a dentist, but obviously as a general dentist, there's so many different avenues that you can you need to learn, whether it's your orthodontics or your implants or root canals and things like that. And I think just being confident in the skills that you have, and then if you aren't confident, being able to identify that and then trying to go down the path of seeking the courses or seeking the help or having one of those mentors that can help guide you. Because I have no doubt dentistry takes a a long time to be able to master and to to grasp different skills in in different areas and yeah these super dentists that are just amazing at so many aspects of it are, are yeah really inspiring and I I have no doubt that it takes a lot of time and a lot of courses and a lot of stress to actually get where they are yeah mm-hmm. um that's a really good point and I guess we see with social media we're exposed to these super dentists. They're literally, they're doing everything to the highest, highest level and and I guess it's easy for us to think, oh, wow, I'm not doing that and, and you know, take ourselves down a notch because of it but we forget how much they've put into getting to where they have. Um, I'd be interested, do you have any idea of um, the kind of CPD I guess Link was doing early on in his career? He, I, he has, he's done, yeah, so many, so many courses. I, I couldn't like tell you independent ones off the top of my head, but um, just the consultation room where patients would go in, his whole entire wall was just covered by all the certificates and the courses that he'd actually gone and done. And that's still something that he actively is, is always doing courses and, and obviously having so many other really great dentists around him being able to learn from other people and and asking advice from other people and and still referring as well when he needs to if there's someone who can do the job better that's a good point uh, that you know even a super dentist still refers uh, I, I like that actually and i think what you raised before about you know knowing whether it's um outside of your capabilities or your scope um identifying that and, and learning that that's an area you might need to maybe learn a bit more about but making sure that patient's cared for in the way they need to be is is crucial and easy for us to forget no yeah definitely and um link actually when I think it was last year, I actually sat and did some of his courses as, as an attendee. So I had gone and assisted as a trainee um, assistant to help Link run the courses. And then I also actually sat down and did some of his courses as well. So I did his posterior and anterior ones. And basically we went to Sydney and basically took you back to dental school where you had your, your mannequin head and you were focusing on one thing that always um I guess gave me a bit of anxiety and probably still does is doing um anterior fillings because the patient obviously is going to see it and you want it to be beautiful and so being able to sit back and practice on these mannequin heads and put the anatomy in and then polish it off and then build it up and then do the anatomy again and again repetition and and not having to worry about time or and being able to make mistakes and seeing what actually works and what doesn't I think um, going through uni, basically, you're just trying so hard to get it right. So the supervisor ticks it off that you're so afraid to make those mistakes. Whereas if you can make mistakes and learning on how to correct it and how to fix it is, I think, what definitely what helps you grow. And unfortunately, you do have to make mistakes, which sometimes it's in a real life situation, but you can't do anything but learn from it. And then, yeah, you just get better. Mm-hmm. I like that the the ability to to remove the anatomy, put it back, remove it, put it back, make a mistake, correct it. Those things sometimes we just learn them through practice, like through physically doing. But it's better to do it in the course. Do you have any suggestions for um, you know the key courses you'd recommend to oral health therapists and perhaps first year dentists? Um, is there something key that you just think you have to do? Okay, um, well, one thing that I actually found really interesting that I done um, last year was an oral myology course, um, which also um, touched on airways and how the muscles of your face work and things like that and that's something that I'm really passionate about as well personally Um, the whole airway thing and then I guess leading on to being able to refer to the ENT and I listened to the podcast where you were 
were chatting with David McIntosh about his airways and I have read his book and that just inspired me further to actually get go down this this route of looking at airways and I think that's where I get a lot of passion as well where where patients are coming in and you're identifying things that and asking them questions that they just things just start to make sense particularly with kids and and even some adults where they've got they've got crowding or whatnot and then you start to pick up well they've got airway obstructions and being able to give them information and be that light bulb person I think is really cool and um yeah for me and for other oral health therapists I definitely think that's something really cool to be a part of and yeah open up another avenue we could talk about that all day. Um, the, the chat, if people haven't listened to um, David McIntosh, um, the podcast, it's like an hour and a half or something, but it's like he's engaging the whole way through and there's just so much content to learn. It, it's eye-opening when you understand those concepts and it, it's quite eye-opening when you notice it and you start to see it in all of your patients. It's so it's, – it's quite common and quite underdiagnosed as well. Um, is it something um, – you know, particularly with kids that you're looking at? And do you, do you actually see many kids through um, the practice or is it more of an adult scope practice? Uh, yeah, I do see quite a lot of kids purely mainly because Link just refuses now because <laughs> if anything's too hard, he's like, nope. If they cry, he's like, nope. I am too stressed out to, to have to try and force kids in the chair. Um, I actually do remember um, throughout my placement at uni there was quite a heavy component on like your school dental services and, and treating kids basically all day. And I remember wanting to treat kids all day and wanted to specialize in kids. And then when I did like a full day of, of kids back when I first started, we were doing, um, there was another dentist on and we sort of opened my books up to, to bring in all the CBDS kids. So get lots of kids in. And I remember just being so mentally exhausted because they're just so wiggly and they're so hard to, um, keep entertained. But, um, I do really, really enjoy treating kids and I do enjoy that aspect of, um, helping them grow and helping them be confident and sort of help them, yeah, maybe even overcome fears as well. I think it's sometimes kids have had bad experiences as well and that obviously stems into a, a really anxious adult as they grow up. And so, yeah, a lot of most of the kids that we see come through me and I think too it also stems back to what's out of scope or when to refer. And if there is kids that are coming through with lots of decay and, and they're quite young, then being able to make the decision of knowing when to actually do the treatment in the chair and then when to sort of refer to a, a pediatric dentist and actually get them to get the mouth healthy and stable in a, in a comfortable environment for the kitty and then being able to then just focus on keeping them maintained and keeping the visit, keeping them happy so that they don't get those big anxieties as they get into their teenagers and their adult years. You, you raise a good point that a lot of our anxious patients, as you said, about 80% of your practice and that they often have had an experience and commonly it's when they're our child. So it's our responsibility not to be that catalyst for our patients today. And I, I find um, kids can be, you know, the best and the worst part of the day. Um, I can't say it's my favorite part of the day, um, but I do see kids from time to time. Um, but I, I think um, from a practice point of view and dentists listening and thinking about oral health therapy um, and having a team, you know, that's a huge component. Oral health therapy can really um, um, make the practice efficient and, and effective in that area as well. Yeah, because I think, I mean, kids definitely still need to come to the dentist and, um the the girls laugh at work actually because I obviously I wear loops when I'm doing my dental treatment but there's one room in the clinic that still has an overhead light and it tends to get a bit in the way when we're taking x-rays and some of the girls just really want to get rid of it but I say no like you can't do that I need that to blind the kids when they won't close their eyes when they just give them a needle um, there's a point but, of that it's not to see but it's there's a point of it yeah <laughs> there you go there's the the hot tip from the podcast um yeah don't let your kids <laughs> see the needle with the light um let's uh we've been we've gone a while now with so much inf- um interesting information and tips but um i like to kind of finish these podcasts off with a bit of a question which is thinking about you know the graduating year whether it's oral health therapists or dentists you can give us any tip that you want um but imagine you can 
teach everyone one thing? Like, what's that one thing you would want to get across? We've kind of crossed it a little bit in, in you know, you're interested in myofunctional um, therapy, but what's that one other tip that you might tell all the dentists that are graduating? I think um, the biggest thing is actually just taking the time to talk to your patients and get let them get to know you on a personal level. You don't have to be just their dentist that's telling them what needs to be done. I think the rapport that you can build with your patient from the beginning will basically help you keep that patient lifelong and you develop those that really per, be personable, be real, um, be honest and be confident in the skills that you have. And Honestly, we have the most amazing patients at our clinic. I, I don't think we have any patients where we you just start to attract the type of patient that you want and you don't really finish the end of the day thinking or dreading the next day when you've got really difficult patients coming in. So um, you start to get those patients that want the really good work, that um, understand that it's going to take time and it's going to take longer, but your job satisfaction is going to be so much higher. And I think I think definitely taking the time to train your staff if you're if you're finding that your your dental assistant you've gone through three or four dental assistants in the process of a couple of months then maybe reevaluate and see is it the dental assistants or is it actually something else that might be yourself that's being a bit difficult because um yeah you might need to change the way that you're sort of training your staff and taking a step back and if you treat your staff with respect and give them responsibility, then they're going to, in return, be really good, loyal staff to you and help make your day enjoyable and efficient and just make, just, yeah, give your patients the best care and that's all what we really want in the end. Yeah, uh, it's it's perfect, all those points. And they sometimes these things can sound simple, like, you know, spend the time with your patient and be personable, you know, be a real person. It's like, it's like oh, yeah, well, that sounds ridiculous, like, of course. But that is actually the crucial part of making that rapport with the patient and that is the crucial part of being a successful dentist or oral health therapist. And so I, I love that point. And, of course, training your staff, if they can do your notes, your day is so much better. So, <laughs> Caitlin Murray, Thank you so much for sharing so much with us on on the podcast and thank you for being a leader, I think, in the field and, um, you know, being a part of Ripe Global Education. But your story, it's fascinating and I really look forward to what you do over the next 10, 15 years. Thank you, Caitlin. Thanks so much, David. It's been, it's been a pleasure. It can be pretty stressful managing the transition from student to professional. Luckily, BOQ Specialist recognizes this and they're here to make the next steps in your career a little easier. Their career starter banking package includes an everyday bank account, an optional overdraft, a credit card with no fees for five years and an optional car loan. Payments towards the optional overdraft are not required until 1st of July the year after you graduate, which really makes a difference to your bottom line. BOQ Specialist really helped me when I graduated. So if they can help you transition from student to professional, then get in touch with them. Terms and conditions apply. See boqspecialist.com.au for more details. So fascinating to hear people's journey from assisting through to being the practitioner. Um, we got a lot of insights out of that. I really appreciated it. And now we're actually going to sit down and listen to a little bit more Ripe Global, the Ripe Global segment. Um, this is where they give you a little piece of information, some some tips, something that, that can be useful on the podcast. And of course, you can get so much more at ripeglobal.com. I want to thank you all for listening. Don't forget that each listen is giving now and we really want to maximize that. So if you check that out in the show notes or at our website, um, there are ways that you can contribute as well. If we all give 1%, we can make a difference. And I was inspired by a different podcast to set this up. All right, let's listen to the Ripe Global segment. What is one of the most unproductive things that you have to do as a dentist? I'll give you some hints. It's also the main reason why you're still at work two hours after your last patient. There is no good way to avoid doing them. And they are also one of the most crucial parts in dental legal situations. You guessed it, clinical notes. Every patient, every procedure needs clear and comprehensive clinical notes. Staying back for hours and hours after your last patient, trying to remember every detail for every patient that day. It's no one's ideal way to spend their evening, but it has to be done. And the one patient that you forget 
or you don't do really good comprehensive notes for is the one patient that will be unhappy with treatment. And unfortunately for you, poor clinical notes means that the cost for their compensation will most likely come out of your pocket. But there is a light. Your dental assistant can be trained to take comprehensive clinical notes and will actually take them better than you can take them. Having your assistant write the conversation and procedure in real time means that no important detail is forgotten and you can be sure that all important information is included in the note. The more detail that you include in the clinical note, the better. So this means including all conversations that you have with the patient, from what the costs are, to the previous treatments, the risks of treatments. You can be sure that all the important information has been documented. It's not unusual for a new patient consultation note to be 1,000 or 2,000 words, and that would just be impossible for you to remember at the end of a day. If your assistant is writing the note, then everything is going to be included. Transitioning to having your dental assistant writing the notes means yes, you'll most likely have to read them and check them for the first few weeks, but eventually you'll have the faith that your dental assistant has written comprehensive notes and that's one less thing that you'll have to do during your working day. Here is a list of a few tips that will help your dental assistant take fast and efficient notes. The first one, write everything. The more detail that you can include, the better. Fast notes. Use fast notes when possible. Various softwares will have different ways that the assistants can make fast notes, which are phrases or procedures that you use often. This will make taking the notes a lot faster. Abbreviate when possible and always include the options and the, and the risks explained to the patient. The way that you talk to the patient will also help the assistant write clear notes. You wanna be clear in your talking so that the notes can be written clearly. Thank you so much for listening to the Dental Head Start podcast. I genuinely hope this is helping you become a better dentist. So if you like what you're hearing, make sure you subscribe on your podcast player and I want you to do me a favor. I want you to go to social media and share something that you've appreciated from us with one of your friends. That's how the word gets out. That's how more people gain and benefit from what we're doing. And if you're a dental student or a graduate and you want to get a head start, go to dentalheadstart.com start to find everything we're doing to help dental students become great dentists.